Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 28, 29, 30 and 31 of The Maze Runner. So where we left off, Thomas had the trial where he was inexplicably promoted to becoming a runner. Even though he has no experience, no skill set. I mean, he does have a little bit of skill set circumstantially, like it just... (sighs) He just winged it in the maze one night and all of a sudden he's the messiah. So he's jagged a new gig as the runner. And also Albie was like, I need to see Thomas. And so Albie going through the changing was like, oh, hey, Thomas. Um, there's this thing called the flare. You're, you're being fucking weird. There's something going on with you and the girl. And then Albie tried to like kill himself. And Thomas was like, I've had enough of this. So we start with chapter 28. And Thomas and Newt are running out of Albie's room, out of the homestead. And Newt says, you hungry, Tommy? And Tommy, Tommy, Thomas, Thomas is like, what? Hungry? Like, how dare he ask me if I'm hungry? He says, I feel like puking after what I just saw. No, I'm not hungry. And Newt just says, well, well, I am, mate. He's like, you know what? I've still got an appetite. Even if Albie tried to choke himself out, I could still be a little bit peckish. Let's go shank and get some leftovers from lunch. Lefto, what time of day is it? They just had this like mid-morning trial where fry pan was, right? So I don't know who was cooking the lunch, but anyway, they've missed lunch. And now they've got to go and see if there's any leftovers from lunch. Did fry pan not set any aside? He knew that they were busy. Like he just saw them. And then it says they made their way directly to the kitchen where despite fry pan's grumbling, they were able to get cheese sandwiches and raw vegetables. Oh, fry pan, he's so annoyed. He's grumbling. He's like, oh, I know you guys were just at the trial five minutes ago and that you missed lunch. Oh, but I'm so annoyed that now I have to give you lunch. It's your job, dude. If you don't want to be the keeper chef, don't be the keeper chef. Oh, and also when Newt was like, I'm hungry. um, Thomas was like, I knew you were going to say something like that. Like when he said, I am, let's, let's go talk. I'm hungry, you shank. Oh, I knew you'd say something like that. Uh, okay. It's not a level of precognition to just like assume that somebody would want to have a chat after a traumatic incident and maybe hungry at lunchtime. He's like, oh, I called it. Oh, I totally picked it. He says, no matter what he did, he was becoming more and more entwined in the dealings of the Glade and he was growing to expect it. He's like, oh, I've cottoned on to how this place works. And I don't know if he's becoming more and more entwined in the dealings of the Glade or that he's just the main character of the book. But anyway, so Frypan can't even look him in the eye. Although, <laughs> no, he does. Well, it's actually, it's actually a little bit confusing. So it says he keeps giving him a weird look, but also his eyes are darting away whenever Thomas looks at him. So it's like, well, what is it? Is he staring or is he avoiding eye contact? Seems like it's both. And he thinks, oh, this sort of treatment's going to be the norm now. For some reason, he was different from everyone else in the Glade. (sighs) Has anyone ever before had this level of main character syndrome? Like this Tommy, he is just the main character, isn't he? Everyone's lives in the Glade just revolves around him. And it says he felt like he'd lived an entire lifetime since awakening from his memory wipe, but he'd only been there a week. It's been a long fucking week in my life, like honestly. 
you know, I think we're like over halfway through this book and I'm like, okay, when's it gonna get good, right? So they go outside to eat. They lean up against the wall and Thomas forced himself to eat. The way things were going, he needed to make sure he'd have the strength to deal with whatever insane thing came his way next. Okay, you know what's coming next. You're gonna do a day in prison and then you're gonna become a runner. I don't really know if you'll need your strength for a little like eight hour stint in prison, but sure, eat up. And Thomas says, have you ever seen anything like that happen before? And Newt says, what, you mean what Albie just did? Not never. But then again, no one's ever tried to tell us what they remembered during the changing. They always refuse. Albie tried to, must be why he went nuts for a while. I, I don't know. I feel like Galley has pointedly said that he's seen things about Thomas during the changing. So like, Albie's not the first person to bring up what's happened in the changing. But the implication is there's some sort of like fail safe in their brain where if they talk about what they know, then they'll try and kill themselves. I, I, I don't know where this level of mind control is coming from. I don't know why they're still shooting themselves up with these serums. Uh, I guess that's just all part of it. And Thomas is like, whoa, could the people behind the maze control them somehow? It was a terrifying thought. Yeah, like, do you not realize you're already being controlled? They send up supplies, they send up food, they send, they send you all the rules. They keep you contained in this little area because of a moving maze filled with little demons. He's like, wow, maybe they're exerting some sort of control over our lives. Uh, yeah, they've also already wiped your memory. And he's like, wow, maybe they can impact our minds. You think? You remember your own name, but nothing else, but you remember language, but you don't remember. <laughs> oh God, I can't even get into it. He's like, maybe they're controlling our minds. Obviously. Oh, it was a terrifying thought. And Newt says, we have to find Gally. And I'm like, yeah, talk to him because he went through the changing. But no, they want to go find him because Gally threatened to kill Tommy. And obviously, I suppose you can't have a functioning society with someone who wants to kill another person just running loose. He goes, as soon as we're done eating, I need to find him and throw his butt in jail. Okay, well, maybe that's not the best plan of attack because you'll also be throwing Tommy in jail. So maybe making them bosom buddies in a prison cell might not be the best thing to do when one wants to kill the other. But Thomas, I I think he forgets that he's going to jail. He couldn't help but feel a shot of pure elation and he thought he'd be happy to slam the door closed and throw away the key himself. I'll remind you, he hasn't done anything that wrong yet. Like, yeah, he threatened to kill him. Okay. But the way they're treating Gally as if he doesn't have a point, it's mind boggling. But Newt says, that shank threatened to kill you and we have to make bloody sure it never happens again. (laughs) That shuck face is going to pay a... (laughs) Shuck face? That shuck face shank is going to pay a heavy price for acting like that. He's lucky we don't banish him, proper noun capital B. And then Thomas is like concerned being like, oh no, it's going to make Gally hate me even more if he's thrown in jail. What, like, why would you care about that? And then he's like, you know what? Nah, it's fine. I don't care. I'm not scared of that guy anymore. Tommy's just going through either a roller coaster of emotions or the writing is so inconsistent that he forgets what he's already said and what feeling he's committed to. And so Newt says, here's how it's going to play out, Tommy. You're with me the rest of today. We need to figure things. Okay, okay. Figure. Did he miss a word there? Did he mean to say we need to figure things out? We need to figure out things, but he just says we need to figure things. We need to figure things. Okay, I guess that works. Tomorrow the slammer, then your minnows, and I want you to stay away from the other shanks for a while. Got it? No, I don't got it. Actually, are you missing words? What are you talking about? But Thomas, he's like, sounds beautiful. Sounds beautiful. Who is this kid? This Thomas, I wouldn't trust him. I would not trust this kid. He is tapped. And he goes, so Minnow's going to train me? Well, yes. You were at the meeting where this all got decided. And he goes, that's right, you're a runner now. Minnow will teach you. The maze, capital M, the maps, capital M, everything. I expect you to work your butt off. And Thomas was shocked that the idea of entering the maze again didn't frighten him all that much. This kid, he's tapped. He just had a harrowing night in the maze. Now he's like, yeah, can't wait to go back in there. And he also has like this inbuilt desire, this yearning to go into the maze. And he knows this. He recognizes that part of himself that he's like attached to this maze, but he's also shocked 
that he's not frightened of the maze. Well, uh, so many emotions going on in his head. And then it says, oh, he's happy to be out of the glade. Avoiding other people was his new goal in life. What was his old goal? Oh, to be a runner. Now he's got a new goal to be out of, you know, people's line of sight, which I guess goes in hand in hand with being a runner. Like, congrats, you did it. I thought his goal in life would maybe be to get out of the maze, discover the secrets of the maze, find out what the fuck's going on. But no, it's just to avoid people. Set your standards higher, Tommy. So then they're eating lunch and then Newt goes, all right, Thomas, look, I need you to accept something. We've heard it too many times now to deny it and it's time to discuss it. And oh God, this conflicted Thomas. He says, Thomas knew what was coming, but was startled. Well, he both expected it and didn't expect it. He's flawed, but also saw it coming. Like, what a conundrum of a person. And Newt says, Galley said it, Albie said it, Ben said it. The girl, after we took her out of the box, proper down capital B, she said it. And Thomas is like, yeah, they all said that things were going to change. It's like, okay, that, that wasn't the headline of what they were saying. They were all sort of saying that like, you're suspicious and you're not to be trusted. And he's like, yeah, they all said uh, that things were different now. And it's like, because of you. I love that he's trying to downplay that. And Newt's like, yeah, um... And they saw you in their memories after the changing. Like, okay, let's just circle back to that. He says, there's memories of you. And from what I gather, you weren't planting flowers and helping old ladies cross the street. According to Galley, there's something rotten enough about you that he wants to kill you. And Thomas is about to be like, I don't remember anything. And Newt says, shut the fuck up with that. He says, quit saying it. We know you don't remember anything. None of us remember anything. And we're bloody sick of you saying that you don't remember anything. Okay, there's a few things going on here. Like, yeah, that would be annoying, but also he doesn't remember anything. So maybe stop asking him. Like, what else is he meant to say? And then Thomas is angry. He goes, all right, well then, how do we figure it out then, huh? How do we figure things? I want to know who I am just as much as anyone else. Obviously, he says, it's all in italics. So he says it sarcastically, I presume. And Newt says, I need you to open your mind. Be honest, if anything, anything at all seems familiar. Okay, stop asking him because he's just going to say, no, I don't remember anything. And Thomas is about to say, no, I don't remember anything. And then he's like, oh, wait, oh, wait, he doesn't want me to say that. I'm not allowed to say I don't remember anything. So he just sits there and he goes, hmm. And Newt says, I can see your wheels spinning. Talk. And so then Thomas is like, all right, all right. I can't put my finger on anything specific but I did feel like I'd been here before when I first got here. Anyone else go through that? And Newt, he's trying to have a poker face, but he's like, um, no, none of us feel like that. He's like, most of us spent a week clunking our pants and bawling out our eyes. None of us felt at home in a giant maze filled with people with memory wipes and little drone monsters. Like if you feel at home there, you're psychotic, Tommy. And then Thomas is like, huh, maybe there is something wrong with me. Uh, like, yeah, nada. He says, it all seemed familiar to me and I knew I wanted to be a runner. Proper noun, capital R. And Newt goes, well, that's bloody interesting. You'd think so. And yet when that point is made over and over again in 28 chapters, the interest certainly dies down pretty quick, Newt. Let me tell you. And Newt says, well, keep looking for it. Strain your mind, spend your free time wandering your thoughts and think about this place. Delve inside that brain of yours and seek it out. Try for all our sakes. And Thomas is like, okay, I'll try. And like, he shuts his eyes and starts thinking. And Newt's like, not now, you fucking idiot. He goes, I just meant do it from now on. You know, in your free time, when you're eating, when you're going to the toilet, like, not now, we're having a conversation. Wake up. And then Thomas He's starting to feel worried that he's revealed too much and that he's thrown up some red flags for Newt and that the older boy was just hiding his concern and just playing it off. Yeah, I'd I'd probably bet that Newt's thinking, this guy's fucking nuts. And Newt's like, we need to go see someone. And oh, he's filled with dread and he's like, who, who? And he goes, the girl. Why wouldn't you just say that then? Why would you say, we need to go see someone? Be more direct, Newt. He says, I want you to look at her. I want you to look at the girl till your eyes bleed. See if something gets triggered in that shuck brain of yours. And then I want you to tell me every single word Albie said to you. And Thomas is like, oh, fine. All right, let's go. 
So the boys walk back to the homestead where the girls still lay in a coma. Okay, that's nice to know. And Newt says, if all else fails, we'll send you to the grievers, get you stung so you can go through the changing. We need your memories. And Thomas barked a sarcastic laugh at the idea. Like what? It was your idea three chapters ago. You've had that same thought. And now he's like, ridiculous. I think James Dashner legitimately forgot what he's already written. So they go check in on the coma girl and one of the med jacks was there. (laughs) Okay. And he's been dropping water into the comatose girl's mouth a few drips at a time. Hardly seems like the practical way to do it, but good on him. A plate and bowl on the bedside table had the remains of her lunch, mashed potatoes and soup. They were doing everything possible to keep her alive and healthy. You know what? I just got off a plane because I went to Europe for a few weeks and that long ass plane ride home, like it was like three flights, 30 hours all up, like with the airport changeovers and shit. It was intense. And you know, you get dehydrated on a plane. Airline travel can really knock it out of you in the hydration state. So I'm just thinking like, I'd love if I was seated next to a med jack who, while I was trying to snooze on the plane, was just dropping water in my mouth every few seconds. I'd love that. That sounds actually like a great way to live. A great solution to plane dehydration. Something to think about. And so this med jack called Clint, he's like, yeah, she's doing fine. Though she talks in her sleep all the time, we think she'll come out of it soon. Where is that coming from? And Thomas, he's starting to get worried, being like, oh, what's she saying in her sleep? Like, okay, you are the most sus person. And it says, for some reason, he'd never really considered the possibility that the girl might wake up and be okay, that she might talk to people. What? Why? How have you never considered that? Did you just think she'd be in a coma forever? Why would he think that? Does, she, does he think that she's Rip Van Winkle? And Newt says, hey, Clint, you've been writing down every word that she says. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we have been. It's hard to understand, but yeah, we have. And Newt says, okay, uh, Newt's got to really pull teeth out of this guy. He's like, yeah, all right, give me an example. And Clint's like, oh, okay, well, um, she says the same thing that she said when we pulled her out of the box, that things are going to change. Uh, other stuff about the creators, how it all has to end. And, um, and he looks at Thomas and Thomas is like, rot row. And he says, well, she keeps saying his name over and over. And Thomas almost fell down at this. Would the references to him never end? How did he know this girl? <laughs> Clearly, you know each other. And so Newt's like, all right, thanks, Clint. And Clint racks off. And so then they sit down and Thomas has just got to stare at the girl and Newt's like, anything ring a bell? Anything at all? And he's trying to think, he's trying to think. And then he thinks back to when he saw her come out of the box and when she'd opened her eyes and he got a good look at her eyes, they'd been blue, richer in color than the eyes of any other person he could remember seeing before. Okay. Okay. He has no memory of other people. He saw that girl come out of the box like less than 24 hours after his mind was wiped. And he's like, wow, she's got the most vibrant color eyes. More vibrant than any other person I could ever remember seeing. That's no one. You can't remember people. What, she's got brighter eyes than Chuck. Okay, great. And he's staring at her and he's thinking about how truly beautiful she was. Like, oh God. And then stronger recognition briefly tickled the back of his mind. A flutter of wings in a dark corner. Okay, all right. It lasted only an instant before vanishing into the abyss of his other captured memories. Okay, this is all bullshit. And he goes, I do know her. Yes, clearly. And Newt says, okay, who is she? And he goes, no idea. Okay. Maybe you shouldn't have framed it like that because you really, you're dicking new around. Oh, of course I know her. Yeah, who is she? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Like, do you want to maybe rephrase the way you talk? Ugh. Thomas says, something's clicked. I know her from somewhere. And Newt, he's like, well, keep thinking. Keep thinking quickly before you lose it. He's already lost it. And Thomas is like, shut up, I'm trying. Like, what? you started talking. Ugh. And he's thinking, who is she? Who is she? And then he hears the word Teresa. And he thinks it's been spoken in the room. And he's like, who Who said that? He's like joking out of his chair. And Newt's like, what do you remember something? What's going on? And he goes, Newt, did you just say something? Like, okay. All right. Let's just reveal what's going on here. So there's some sort of telepathic connection. And the girl 
Teresa, her name is. By the way, is she a 50-year-old woman? Like, I'm sorry, have you ever met a young Teresa? I know I haven't. We've got a 16-year-old girl called Teresa. Now, okay, no, no, I'm sorry. I can get on board with this maze, defying all logistics and physics. I can get on board with the grievers. I can't really get on board with the memory wipe, but let's just say I can get on board with the memory wipe. But what I cannot get on board with is a 16-year-old girl called Teresa. No, I'm sorry. Teresa? Teresa? It's a beautiful name. Apologies to all the Teresas out there. But if you are a Teresa listening out there, I'm betting that you're over the age of 45. So she's communicating with him telepathically. Okay, let's get on board with that. From her coma, she's talking to him and he's hearing it as if it's outside of his body. Okay. And he thinks, Newt, did you say something like, uh, so was it in a girl's voice? Or was she like, Teresa, was she doing like a Newt impersonation when she communicated telepathically with you? Because why would you confuse that to be Newt talking? Also, Newt doesn't know a name. So why would Newt have said Teresa? And Newt's like, no, I haven't said anything. And so then he's like, oh, I just thought I heard something. I don't know. Maybe it's in my head. Hey, did she say anything? And Newt's like, no, she, she's in a coma. And he's like, oh yeah. And he goes, I think, I feel like I heard her say her name, like Teresa. And Newt says, Teresa, I didn't hear anyone say Teresa. He goes, must have, all right, listen to this. Must have sprung loose from your bloody memory blocks. Sprung loose from your memory blocks. Why, why does he talk like this? That's her name, Tommy. Teresa has to be. I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah, again, we've got a, we've got a book full of characters called Galley, Newt, Albie, Frypan, Chuck. And then we get Teresa. Seems out of place. That's all I'm saying. And then Thomas felt odd, an uncomfortable feeling, like something supernatural had just occurred. Okay, okay, you're in a maze, a giant maze, where it doesn't rain, doesn't snow, it's just sunny all day long, clear skies at night, and also there's a cliff that leads to nothingness. He's like, oh my God, did something supernatural just happen? That's crazy. You just came out of a box in the ground with no memory. Okay, what, okay. And then he hears Thomas and he's like, whoa. And he jumps from his chair again. He's like, what was that? It's like, oh God, she's talking to you, dude. And he's like, oh, it's a voice, a girl's voice, whispery, sweet, confident. Okay. So she didn't say it like Thomas. She must've said it like Thomas. And he goes, oh, I've heard it. I know I'm hearing it. I've heard it. And Newt's like, what's bloody wrong with you? And he goes, she's, she's freaking talking to me in my head, in my head. She just said my name and Newt goes, what? And he goes, yeah, no, I'm hearing a voice in my head or something. It's not really a voice. Okay, so it's not, what? it's not a voice. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements featuring rust proof, stainless steel, hardware, weather ready teak and quick dry foam cushions for Memorial day. Get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And Newt's like, Tommy, what are you bloody talking about? And he goes, Newt, I'm serious. It's not really a voice, but it, but it is. 
it's a telepathic connection. Okay, catch up, catch up. And so then she goes, Tom, we're the last ones. It'll end soon. It has to. And he's like, wait a minute. I can hear her. Oh my God. He goes, I could hear her. Yet it doesn't sound like the voice is coming from the room, from outside of my body. It sounds like it's coming from within inside my mind. Like, yeah, it's telepathic. Can you see her lips moving, dickhead? Like, ah. Oh. And she says, Tom, don't freak out on me. And then he puts his hands up to his ears and he's like, la, 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 la. So he is freaking out. It was too strange. He couldn't bring his rational mind to accept what was happening. And yet he gets introduced to this giant maze and he's like, oh, I want to be a runner. I want to run around that maze. I want to fight with grievers. Yeah, grief serums and changings and banishment poles. Yeah, that's all fine. But oh, telepathic mind reading. No, oh, my rational mind, it can't take it. And then she says, my memory's fading already, Tom. I won't remember much when I wake up. We can pass the trials, proper noun, capital T. It has to end. They sent me as a trigger. And Thomas is like, fuck this. And he just runs outside. He's like, I can't handle that. But guess what? It's a supernatural mind connection. So she's still able to communicate with him even when he's left the room. And she says, everything is going to change. And he's like, no, I can't take it anymore. So he starts running further away in the hopes to break the connection. Like it's a Bluetooth Wi-Fi type signal. Like the further away you are, you'll just drop out of range. And so then he's just running into the maze. It says he kept going through corridor after corridor, deep into the heart of the maze. Why would you do such a thing? You just had a trial condemning you because you went into the maze on your own. Okay, so now he's running in the maze again, but he still couldn't escape the voice. Well, obviously, it's not a distance thing. And then she says, it was you and me, Tom. We did this to them, to us. Ooh, what the fuck does that mean? At least we're getting some communication from Teresa. I'd rather she wake up, but at least we're getting something. Although, uh, telepathic mind connections. I mean, this book's just throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks, isn't it? Like, holy bejesus. All right, then we go to chapter 29. So chapter 29 starts and it says, Thomas didn't stop until the voice had gone for good. Okay, so he did break the Bluetooth connection. It shocked him when he realized he'd been running for almost an hour. The shadows of the walls ran long toward the east and soon the sun would set for the night and the doors would close. Okay, where is he getting information that he's been running for an hour? He doesn't have a watch. Is he just reading the shadows? And he's also confused by how he knows it's an hour. He goes, it only peripherally hit him then that without thinking, he'd recognize the direction and the time that his instincts were strong. Uh, uh, What? So he's like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to make a great runner because I know what time it is judging from the shadows on the walls. You shouldn't know this. And then he's thinking, of course, like, oh, I better get back. You know, don't want to be stuck in the maze at night again. Like, well, then why did you run into the maze? And he's like, but I also don't want to go back there and deal with her, with Teresa. He doesn't know if he can handle this voice in his head, but then he's like, you know what? I got no choice. <laughs> Denying the truth would solve nothing. And as bad, as weird as the invasion of his mind had been, it beat another date with the grievers any day. Then why did you run into the ma- oh, this, oh. And then as he ran back towards the glade, he learned a lot about himself. Without meaning to or realizing it, he'd pictured in his mind his exact route through the maze as he escaped the voice. So he's just retracing his steps, turning left and right, running down corridors in the reverse of the way he had come. He knew what it meant. Mino was right. He would soon become the best runner. Yeah, you've been here before. Something sus is going on. And why is he always having this realization that he'd be a good runner? I thought you already knew that. And the second thing he learned about himself, as if the night in the maze hadn't proved it already, was that his body was in perfect shape. Okay, bragger. Again, like you've already realized this and now he's realizing it again. He's bragging that he's run with almost no effort, despite nearing the end of his second hour of running. It didn't take a math genius to calculate that his speed and time combined meant he'd run roughly half a marathon by the time he returned to the glade. Okay. You know what? Maybe it would take a math genius to calculate that because I don't know how you're calculating it with no tools, with no measurements. Oh, it wouldn't take a math genius. I don't know. Maybe it would. And then he's been hit by the sheer size of the maze. He's like, whoa, it's miles and miles and miles. So how are you calculating the length of a marathon? 
And with its walls that moved every night, he finally understood why the maze was so hard to solve. <laughs> How's he so like slow on the uptake and yet also he knows so much information that he shouldn't know? Uh, and by the time he gets to the doors, the doors were only minutes away from closing for the night. What the fuck? Why would you risk that? He should be in trouble. Lock him up in the slammer for another day. This, uh, he can't keep doing this. And so he gets into the glade and he goes for the deadheads. You know, that lovely quiet area that he loves so much to contemplate. Um, it's a cemetery where he almost got killed. And he's just like, oh, I just need some time and the deadheads alone in my special safe space. So he finds this little safe space where he once almost got killed and he has a little nap. He says, no one came, no one bothered him. The south walls behind him eventually moved around closing for the night and he fell asleep. The next morning, someone gently shook him awake and it was Chuck. And he goes, oh, Chuck, the kids seem to be able to find him anywhere. Like, mate, it's your like most famous place that you like to go and hang out. How did he find me here? Of all places, this one place where I often am known to attend. And also someone had put blankets on him overnight. So yeah, like people knew where you were. I don't think you were off everyone's radar as much as you think, Thomas. Chuck's like, you're almost late for breakfast. Come on, you got to get up. And then he's thinking about what happened the day before, about Teresa doing the mind meld with him. And he's like, you know what? Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe the stress of the maze had driven him insane. And he's like, but you know what? Only I heard what she was saying and I'm not going to tell anyone. So they don't know that it's my fault that they're all there. He's like, well, Newt knows that she said her name, but he doesn't know the rest of it. And I doubt Newt will tell other people. So he's already acting shady. And then he's thinking, maybe I am crazy. And then he's like, no, I'm not crazy. And meanwhile, Chuck is looking at him thinking, this guy's fucking crazy because he's having a full like discussion in his own head. But I can imagine his face being like, and Chuck's like, um, come on. And he goes, oh, sorry, Chuck. Just been thinking, let's eat. I'm starving. And Chuck's like, okay, all right. And so then they go to the homestead and Chuck's telling him, oh, Newt found you last night and told everyone to let you sleep. He told us all about what the council decided, how you're going to be in jail for a day, then you'll be a runner. Some shanks grumbled about that. Some cheered, some couldn't care less. I think it's pretty awesome. That first night when you were bragging about being a runner and all that clunk, shuck it. I was laughing inside so hard. I kept telling myself this sucker's in for a rude awakening. Well, you proved me wrong, huh? And then Thomas is like, doesn't want to talk about it. He says, being a runner was the last thing on Thomas's mind. Is it? Is it? You just ran into the maze for no purpose and ran back out. You calculated the length of your run. You timed it perfectly. You're congratulating yourself on being the best runner in all of the world. And you're like, oh, I don't really think that much about running. I'm not obsessed with running, even though every chapter in this fucking book, I've been saying that I want to be a runner. And then Chuck says, well, you know what? Old Chucky is proud of you. Old Chuck, he just called himself old Chucky. I mean, you're younger than Thomas. You've only been there for a month more than Thomas. And now you're old Chucky. What? You're the butt of everyone's joke, Chuck. No one's calling you old wise Chucky. Everyone hates you, Chuck. And then, oh, this book is so confusing to me. Thomas smiled at his friend's enthusiasm, even though he's bitched about his enthusiasm consistently. He goes, if only you were my mum, Thomas murmured, life would be a peach. What? He wants Chuck to be his mum. Okay, you don't know who your mum is, first of all. So I don't know if that's an insult to your mother's parenting, even though you can't remember it. But if only you were my mum, my life would be a peach. What? That, uh, what the hell does he mean by that? Then it says they made it to the kitchen and grabbed a quick breakfast, taking two empty seats at the big table inside. Well, you're not going to take filled seats, are you? So like, oh, it's just the language in this book. It's just like oh, empty seats. Like, of course they're empty. You don't need to put in all these words. And so then he's like, oh, hey, Chuck, did they ever find Gally? And he's like, nah. They saw him run out into the maze after he left the gathering. And Thomas drops his fork. Being like, what? It says the news stunned him. He goes, what? You're serious? He went into the maze? And I'm like, what? Yeah, he did the exact same thing that you just did? What a, what a nut job. What's he doing running into the maze? Who would do such a thing? What kind of an idiot would just run into the maze? Like you. 
And Chuck's like, oh yeah, it's the talk of the town. No one can figure it out. Some people think you even might've killed him when you went out into the maze. And Thomas says, I can't believe it. And then he stares at his plate, trying to understand why Gally would do that. Why would he run into the, you just did it. Why did you do it? Why are there different rules for Gally than there are for you? Oh, this idiot. And so Chuck, he's like, don't worry about it, dude. No one liked him except for his few shuck cronies. They're the ones accusing you of stuff. And Thomas is like, oh my God, how dare Chuck speak about someone like that? He could be dead. And he's speaking ill of poor Gally, poor Gally the dead. Like you said you wanted to lock him up and throw away the key. You were like, oh, this guy. He goes, Thomas couldn't believe how casually Chuck spoke about it. And he says, you know, the guy's probably dead. You're talking about him like he went on vacation. Okay, so now... Now you're defending Gally. And then Chuck's like, I don't think he's dead. And then Thomas is agog and aghast again. And he's like, no, he, he must be dead. No one, no one but me and Minnow have survived a night in the maze. Like, <laughs> clearly he's dead. And Chuck's like, no, no, no. I don't even think he went into the maze. I think he's just hiding somewhere. He can't be stupid enough to go out in the maze. And Thomas is like, well, maybe that's exactly why he went out there. Because he wanted to prove that he can do anything I can do. The guy hates me. And then he he does that dramatic thing where he's like, oh, wait, he's dead, even though I have no proof of that. And so he goes and he pauses and then he speaks in the past tense and he says, hated me. Like, oh, my God, that's so extra. We're assuming so much knowledge about Gally's situation. He's already dropping the past tense like, oh, come on. And so then Thomas is looking at his plate and he's like, oh God, all I want is one normal day, one normal day to relax. And I'm like, well, you're going to prison, maybe just relax in prison. And then that's exactly what someone says. So Newt, he then says, your bloody wish is granted. He says from the kitchen door behind him. So Newt was just eavesdropping. And he says, come on, you bugging jailbird. You can take it easy while you're hanging in the slammer, proper noun, capital S. Let's go. Chucky will bring you some lunch at noon. So he's even getting like a nice lunch in prison. It sounds like a good gig. Normal prison in our world. Sure. Wouldn't want to be there for a day. But this prison, I mean, come on. And then he thinks suddenly a day in prison sounded excellent. A day to just sit and relax. That's the spirit. Probably super naive, but that's the spirit. And then it says, though something told him there was a better chance of Gally bringing him flowers than of a passing day in the glade with nothing strange happening. Like, was it necessary to get another dig into Gally? He's, he's dead. <laughs> We're operating under the assumption that he's dead. So don't speak ill of the dead. So then we go to chapter 30 and he's in the slammer, proper noun, capital S. And it's situated in an obscure place between the homestead and the North Glade wall, hidden behind thorny, ragged bushes. It was a big block of roughly cut concrete with just one tiny little barred window and a wooden door that was locked with a rusty metal latch like something out of the dark ages. Doesn't sound like the most secure prison. Maybe they should upgrade that rusty metal latch to something a little bit more secure. And so the Newt opens the door and he says, there's a chair in there and nothing at all for you to do. Enjoy yourself. And you know what? Sounds lovely. It's, uh, it sounds bloody lovely. As I said, I just got back from Europe. It was go, 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 go. I'd love to just sit in a room and relax. And it's not like he's in solitary confinement where he doesn't have a window or anything or natural light. He's got a window. He's got a chair. He's getting lunch brought to him in like three hours. He's fine. Would have been more of a punishment to send him to the slaughterhouse. What do they call the slaughterhouse? The the sloppers or whatever. Go spend a day as a slopper. That would have been more of a punishment for him. But this sounds lovely. And he was thinking that as well, right? Did I imagine it? Or did last chapter is like, oh God, I can't wait for a day to relax. Oh, I can't wait for it. And now he's walking in and he's like, ew. <laughs> he's groaning inwardly as he sees the one piece of furniture, an ugly, rickety chair with one leg obviously shorter than the rest, probably on purpose, didn't even have a cushion. <laughs> like, you're in prison, dude. <laughs> oh, doesn't even have a cushion. Oh, it's such an ugly chair. Oh, you poor bitch. You poor bitch. What were you expecting? The bloody Ritz? So Newt locks the door and then he pops his head through the window and he's like, sorry, I've got to do this to you, Shank, but rules are rules. And Thomas is like, yeah, 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 whatever. And so then the first hour passed and Thomas felt boredom creep in like rats under the door. Again, he knows when an hour is passing. This inner body clock that he's got is just so commendable. By hour number two, 
He wanted to bang his head against the wall. Two hours after that, he started to think having dinner with Gally and the Grievers would beat sitting inside that stupid slammer. You know what? You were just mind communicating in your mind palace with Teresa. And you were like, yeah, I'm going to meditate and really spend some time thinking about how I can reconnect my memories, putting the pieces together. Maybe do that. This is a perfect opportunity and he's already bored. Isn't that what they say, that bored people have no imagination? This Thomas kid, no imagination. I like, just have a nap. Have you ever thought about just having a nap? Shut your eyes. And then Chuck arrives at noon with lunch. Again, how he knows it's noon, I'm not too sure. And then Chuck starts just talking his ear off. Like he may as well not be in prison if he can communicate with his best friend. And Chuck says, everything's gotten back to normal. Well, that was quick. I don't know if it has. We've still got Coma Girl in the homestead talking telepathically in Thomas's mind palace. You got a guy gone missing. And also you're stuck in the middle of a maze. I don't think anything will ever be back to normal. But he's just like, yeah, the runners are out and about. You know, everyone's working. Everything, everything's back to normal. Albie's even back on the grounds, so that's great. And Thomas, his first thought isn't like, oh, good for Albie on the mend. He's like, rot row. Hopefully Albie doesn't tell anyone what he said to me in that room when he tried to choke himself out. And it's like, well, no, he's probably not going to share that because if he does, he'll try and kill himself. But Thomas is always very worried about numero uno in his book, which is Tommy Boy. And then Chuck, out of nowhere, says, you know what, Thomas, I really feel messed up. I'm feeling sick and homesick and sad, but it's weird because I don't even know where home is, but I'm homesick for it. I just want to be back to my family. Like if I have a family, I just want to remember. And Thomas is like, wow, that's so deep, Chuck. That's so deep. He's thinking like, oh, this beautiful, insightful child. And he just goes, yeah, I know what you mean. (laughs) It's not good at conversations, is he? Oh, he's, he's thinking, wow, Chuck's so eloquent, but he's just saying like, yeah, I get it. And then Chuck says, you know what, Tommy, I used to cry every night. And he's like, yeah, question mark. That's it. That's it. (laughs) Oh, not a great shoulder to cry on it. And he goes, yeah, like a pants wetting baby. Then I got used to it. This became home, even though we spend every day hoping to get out. And then Thomas finally decides, you know what, maybe I'll relate to the kid. And he says, yeah, well, I cried once actually uh, in the maze. I broke down and sobbed till my throat and chest hurt. And then, okay. And then in narration, it says, Thomas remembered all too well. Like, yeah, it was two nights ago. I'd be surprised if you didn't remember that huge traumatic night that was two days ago. Ah, Thomas remembered it all too well. Yeah, it just happened. He's acting like Taylor Swift getting a scarf stolen by Jake Gyllenhaal at Maggie Gyllenhaal's house. Like, yeah, you remember it all too well because it just happened. It didn't happen 10 fucking years ago. And then a few minutes passed in silence and Thomas found himself hoping Chuck wouldn't leave. So uh, he's so antsy being in this little prison that he even wants to hang out with Chuck. That's how you know solitary confinement's gotten to him. And then Chuck says, hey, Thomas. And he goes, yes, still here. Like, okay, you were just saying you wanted to spend time with the kid. You liked the company and now you're being sarcastic. Like, of course you're still there. You're in fucking prison. And he's like, hey, Thomas, still here, Chuck. Where else would I be, Chuck? Like, God, leave Chuck alone. And Chuck says, do you think I have parents, real parents? And then Thomas laughed. Thomas laughed, mostly to push away the sudden surge of sadness the statement caused. Okay, you still shouldn't laugh. And he goes, of course you do, Shink. You need me to explain the birds and the bees. Well, okay. I don't think he was asking if like, he was artificially inseminated or something. Like if he's like a little clone, if he's a little robot body. I think he was more like, Do I have parents that are still alive, perhaps? He's like, of course. Do I need to tell you how sexual intercourse works, you stupid shink? And Chuck says, you know what? That's not what I was talking about, dude. He goes, most of the guys who have gone through the changing remember terrible things that they won't even talk about, which makes me doubt that I have anything good to remember. So maybe I don't have a mum and dad out in the world somewhere missing me. And then Thomas actually starts to cry. So he is empathetic. Oh, the... The tonal shift in this characterization, just whiplash. And for the first time, he felt something for Chuck that made him so angry, he wanted to kill somebody. He's like, oh, this poor kid. This poor kid should be at home. He should be playing with the kids. He should be going to school. He shouldn't be in this maze. And so then Thomas hated the people who'd taken this poor, innocent kid from his family. Hated them with a passion. He wanted them dead, tortured even. And I'm like, oh, 
It could be you. <laughs> you and Teresa could be behind this. And he says, listen to me, Chuck. I'm sure you have parents. I know it. Sounds terrible, but I bet your mum is sitting in your room right now holding your pillow, looking out at the world that stole you from her. And yeah, I bet she's crying. Hard, puffy-eyed, snotty-nosed crying. The real deal. Okay, what is this bedside manner? I'm sorry, but that would not cheer me up. It's like, don't you worry, Chuck. I bet your mum's distraught. <laughs> like, okay, thanks. That makes me feel a million times better. And he says, don't give up, Chuck. We're going to solve this thing because I'm a runner now. I'm going to run around until we solve this thing. Like, oh my God. Oh my goodness gracious me. Maybe instead of runners, we should be getting diggers. I don't know. Maybe we should be setting traps for all of the grievers in the maze. I, I just don't think running around, trying to find a way out of an impenetrable maze is the best use of their resources. They act like the only skill they have is running. You've got tools, you've got weapons. I mean, try another approach. But I'm a runner now, Chuck. I'll sort it out because I'm a runner. No other runners have figured it out, but I'm a special runner, Chuck. So don't you worry about me, Chuck. And he says, I swear, Chuck, I swear I'll get you back home. Oh, kind of cute. That was the end of that chapter. So we go to chapter 31 and he's hearing the grind and rubble of stone against stone announcing the closing of the doors for the day. And Albie comes and unlocks the door. And he's like, you're free. (laughs) When they said a day in prison, I kind of thought, you know, (laughs) we'd at least go until, I don't know, a bit longer than now. It sort of seems like he, he went in after breakfast, he had lunch in there, and now he's back out for dinner. Could they not have just gone overnight? Maybe a day being like a full 24 hours and not just, you know, the time when the sun's up. And Thomas is just looking at Albie being like, oh my God, damn. He's got color in his face. He looks good. He's like gained weight in a day. Like he's keeping it tight. And Albie's like, why are you staring at me, shuck face? What are you looking at? And Thomas is like, oh, nothing. Just seems so crazy that you healed so quickly. And then Albie's flexing and he's like, yeah, never better. What? Are they flirting? Are they about to fuck? So Thomas comes out of the prison. Albie shuts the door and he goes, you know what? Actually, I'm lying. I feel like a piece of clunk twice crapped out by a griever. Oh, okay. Twice crapped out clunk. Okay, so that means the griever ate their own shit and then shut it out again. I mean... I don't believe grievers eat, but okay. Yeah, I get it. I get it. You feel bad. You feel poorly. All right. And Thomas, again, with the shit bedside manner, he goes, yeah, well, you looked it yesterday. I was like, okay. okay. And he says, but today you look brand new. I still get flirty vibes. And then Albie's like, yeah, so about yesterday's chat. And Thomas is like, yeah, I remember. And he goes, I saw what I saw, Greenie. I kind of don't forget it. It's fading a little, but I'm never going to forget it. I'm like, what? I'll never forget it, but it is fading from my memory. (laughs) Okay. He goes, now the images are getting up and gone like that same something don't like me remembering, but oh, but I remember I ain't never going to forget it. Although I have forgotten it. And Thomas says, well, what was it about me? You kept saying you saw me. What was I doing? And he says, you were with the dot, dot, dot creators, proper noun, capital C, helping them. But that ain't what got me shook up. And Thomas is like, oh my God, helping them? Me? It's like, I thought you already sort of suspected that, but yeah. Oh, he's like, what? And Albie says, I just hope the changing doesn't give us real memories. It just plants fake ones. He says, oh, I hope so. Because if the world is the way that I saw it, dot, dot, dot. And Thomas is like, yeah, 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 yeah. Enough about that. What did you say about me? What about me? And Albie says, no way, Shank. I'm not saying anything. Don't want to risk strangling myself again. Maybe they've got something in our brains to control us just like the memory wipe. And Thomas is like, well, if I'm evil, maybe you should leave me locked up. And he goes, Greeny, you ain't evil. You might be a shuck-faced slint head, but you ain't evil. Okay. What's he basing this off of? But he's like, yeah, you're a, you're a shuck-faced slint head, but I trust you. And he says, just makes me think that the grief serum, proper noun, capital G, capital S, and the changing, proper noun, capital C, got something fishy about him. For your sake and mine, I hope so. Yeah, and stop shooting yourself up with some random injection that, that, that's getting sent up from a box in the ground. From the people that are trapping you there. Like, uh. So then Thomas says, how bad was it? Your memories that came back. He's like, I sense this is an uncomfortable topic, but let me just pepper you with questions. And he says, I remembered growing up, where I lived, stuff like that. 
And he says, and if God himself came down right now and told me I could go back home, if it was real greeny, I swear I'd go shack up with the grievers before going back. Ooh, post-apocalyptic vibes. Sounds shit out there. Probably fake. Probably fake. And Thomas says, well, maybe the grief serum is just some kind of psycho drug that gives you hallucinations. And Elby's like, mm, yeah, man, doubt it. <laughs> why, why is he doubting it? He's like, yeah, man, nah, nah, impossible. <laughs> Seems like a good theory to me. I don't know. And Thomas says, we still have to escape this place. And Albie's like, yeah, no shit, Greeny. Thanks for the hot tip. And Thomas goes, well, quit calling me Greeny. The girl's the Greeny now. That's the rule. And Albie's like, whatever, Greeny. Go find some dinner. Your terrible prison sentence of one day is over. I don't think it's a full day. It's a half day. Maybe it's a working day. It's a nine to five type situation. He's just done a Dolly Parton stint in prison and that's it. So then he goes to get dinner and he says, dinner was awesome. Fry pan had known that Thomas would be coming late. So he'd left a plate full of roast beef and potatoes and said that there were cookies in the cupboard. And it says the cook, proper noun capital C, seemed fully intent on backing up the support he'd shown for Thomas in the gathering, proper noun capital G. Even though um, immediately after the gathering, Fry pan was avoiding his gaze, but also giving him filthy looks. Wow, I'd love an insight into Frypan's mind. I really would. I like to telepathically connect to his mind palace. So then he goes back to his little special place in the Deadheads where he was once attacked, but he finds the most peace amongst all those buried corpses. And he gets settled under that little blanket that's just been abandoned there because I guess it's his bed now. And he's thinking, oh God, the weather is nice. So crazy how the weather's nice here. Some things here are just too perfect. And then he's thinking about the maze, the massive scale of the maze, the cliff how none of it makes sense, how the runners had never found an exit, but despite the utter hopelessness, they've never given up. Blah, blah, fucking blah. And he's like, tomorrow my training will begin. Oh, tomorrow I'm going to be a runner. I'm going to run and I'll learn how to run and they'll train me to run and then I'll run around and all that running will lead to something. And then he falls asleep and that's the end of that chapter. Oof. I want to say we got progress, but I, I don't think we did. <laughs> this book is just grinding along. We did learn Coma Girl's name, so I guess that's something. Uh, We'll just have to, you know, hold on to that with all hope when uh, next week we also get blue balled with nothing happening. So I'll see you then. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.